0: Patrice Collars, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, said this in an interview:
1: "He was concerned, or is concerned, that uh, that there's a lack of perhaps uh, ideological direction in Black Lives Matter that would allow it to be to to, to fizzle out, and as he said, um, uh, in comparison to Occupy Wall Street." Uh, as you are are advanced in your own organization, as you all are headed to Cleveland to participate in this Black Lives um, Movement conference, how do you respond to that particular critique? Again, a loving critique from an elder of the struggle uh, that some others share, uh, that I've even shared as well, to, to be frank, as a concern about uh, in part because of the cooptation and and the appropriation that that a, a more clear ideological um, structuring might be of some value here, but how do you respond to 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 those kinds of again loving criticisms?
2: Um, I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame um, myself. And Alicia, in particular, are trained organizers. Um, We uh, are trained Marxists. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross.
0: This is episode 27 of the Removing Barriers podcast and the fourth in the series of Black Lives Matter and its mission. The first in the series was episode 3, Black Lives Matter, An Introduction to the Movement. The second was episode 4, Black Lives Matter, The Destruction of the Nuclear Family. And the third was episode 8, Black Lives Matter, The LGBTQIA Movement. These episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and most places where podcasts can be found. In this episode, we will be looking at Black Lives Matter, the Marxist movement. And we have two guests with us, Alex and D.W. Welcome to the Removing Barriers
3: podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.
2: So we're going to start with a basic overview of what exactly is Marxism. Alex, can you help us understand a Cliff Notes version of the history of Marxism?
3: Sure. So really, in order to know about Marxism, you have to know about Marx, the man who came up with Marxism. Karl Marx was born in Germany in the year 1818. He attended the University of Berlin in Germany. He adopted the false beliefs of evolution and socialism there, and he ended up developing his own political philosophy – he ended up believing that the working class, which he called the proletariat, would revolt against the higher class, which he called the bourgeoisie, and they would take away all their property and set up a government ruled by the workers. Marxism, it's really an economic system. It's not a governmental system. That's actually communism. There's a slight difference there. Marx ended up moving to England and meeting a socialist by the name of Frederick Engels. He lived with him, and he ended up, Publishing the Communist Manifesto with him, which is a document that basically gives what communists believe and Communists and Marxists are very similar in a lot of their philosophies. So that's basically where it came from Marxism essentially is just the economic side of what brings in the communist governmental system.
0: Yeah, what does modern-day Marxism look like? You know a lot of times We know the history of Marxism, but a lot of times, a lot of folks don't know how to kind of look at it in the present day. So what does modern-day Marxism look like?
3: Well, one thing I can say is that Marxism is just great at blending with the society and the culture that it tries to infiltrate. It really is good at sneaking into a country and disguising itself as neoliberalism and progressivism. It programs the younger generation with its tenets of socialism and so forth by social media, film industries, and so forth. For example, in the 1930s, 1940s, and even later than that, Hollywood, a lot of their filmmakers and actors and so forth were socialists, Marxists, and communists. And they were able to get their ideas into the films that they portrayed. And so that is how Marxism works, is it gets into the mind first without telling you That it is Marxism. And then after it infiltrates the mind, then it works to discredit the values of the older generation as not progressive enough. And so it's hard to distinguish from communism because it survives on social and political unrest, because it's all about rebellion. And that's another reason why it's easy for the younger generation to get pulled into the movement, so to speak, because. A lot of them are rebelling against their authorities, whether it be God or their parents or the church or whatever it might be. And so Marxism draws young people in that way. It also draws in people, like I said before the podcast when I was talking to MCG, it really draws in people that are struggling with social issues such as the Black Lives Matter movement. It really likes to play off of those issues because it can draw people in. So a modern example of Marxism is BLM. And, you know, there are many other operatives of Marxism in the U.S. and around the world, but that is just one of the main ones at the moment.
2: Okay, let's take a step back a little bit. You mentioned that Marxism is the economic side that brings in the government rule of communism, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned Marxist groups such as Black Lives Matter, and they more fall under the umbrella of a cultural movement. So I would say that that's two different things. So you've got the economic side, you've got the cultural side. What other differences are there between classical and cultural Marxism? And let me pin a second question onto that. Does classical Marxism always lead to some form of cultural Marxism as well?
4: Can I add slightly to that? Is there a common goal that you know, unifies the two ideas?
3: that brings classical Marxism and cultural Marxism together?
2: Yeah, that's a perfect way to ask that question. See, thank you, DW. (laughs) I'm over here with all these words, and you just kind of succinctly put it. That's exactly what I'm asking you. Yes.
3: Well, classical Marxism, if I'm understanding what you mean by classical Marxism, you mean like the Marxism that Marx originally created, right? Yes,
2: that's exactly what I mean. Yes.
3: So classical Marxism was essentially... You could say that it is really closely related to communism, because if you look at communism, communism is a government ruled by workers, and the workers are marxists and so therefore communism cannot work without Marxism. I don't know if that makes sense, but classical Marxism was distinct from communism in the fact that it was the economic side, and communist was the government side. However, classical Marxism was more overt it didn't hide itself behind different things as much. I mean, there was still some of that, but people were quite open at the time of Marx and soon afterward because you'll find in European history there were a lot of revolutions right after that, and a lot of those were the people that were Marxists, and they were very open about it. But now, because we have cultural Marxism, people—I should say Marxism finds it easier to— draw people in nowadays with something that people see relating to them more, relating to issues that they see that they don't think are being dealt with. It differs from classical Marxism in the way that it's perpetrated, in the way it's displayed. Cultural Marxism, instead of standing out and showing its true colors, blends in with the culture. But one can't say, you know, this is where classical Marxism ends and cultural Marxism begins, because... Eventually, if someone becomes a cultural Marxist, you're going to end up believing the original tenets of Marx.
4: So it sounds sort of like what you're suggesting is that classical Marxism was, since it was an economic system, it worked through the economy, and social Marxism is working through society in a cultural way.
3: Exactly. It comes to the point where you can't tell the difference between Marxism and the culture. So, whereas with Classical Marxism, it was in an open way.
0: So if I'm understanding you correctly, let's take Black Lives Matter, for example, where they hide their agenda behind racial issues. So a police may or may not be in the wrong to shoot a black person, but they use that as something to push their agenda Is a racial issue. So they want to bring everybody to the same level or have police be fairly tried if they, they're in the wrong but the actual agenda behind of that they're hiding it behind of the racial issues
3: exactly and what i find worrying about that is the fact that there's a book by kenneth goth he was a former communist party leader but he also was a trained marxist a revolutionary in the 1930s 1940s he was one of the head people in the Communist Party in the United States. And he talks about in his little book, forget the name of the book at the moment, but he mentions how the Marxists planned on taking over the United States. And part of that was disabling the police system, disabling the police so that way no one could trust them and they could essentially just take over the country because there would be no defenses. And so I see that parallel, and then I see the parallel with them trying to you know, tear down the police forces around the states. And I just see a parallel there that is worrying. So,
4: what's the goal of classical Marxism? What's the goal of social Marxism? What's the end result?
3: The end result is, like I said, to bring in communism. So, essentially, what Marxists would say their goal is, is to free, so as they say, to free the worker from the employer. And so that way, the people rule is the way they say it. But what's interesting is in every single country where Marxism has been allowed to come to fruition to bring forth communism, we could look at the Soviet Union, we could look at China, there have been mass starvation. Millions upon millions of people have died. Millions of people have died from executions and so forth. And it's ended up bringing more death than peace because Marxism is supposed to bring in communism, which is supposed to bring in peace, but it never has done that.
0: And that's a good segue into the next question I have, because where does Marxism come into play when you're speaking about cultural hegemony and hemogenic power? Is it related to critical race theory and intersectionality and all these buzzwords we're hearing?
3: Well, to be clear, I haven't done much research into cultural hegemony and hegemonic power, critical race theory, et cetera. I know I have a little bit of information, but what I know about it, about cultural hegemony is it seems very much based on race and class it basically is one social group dominating other groups or group so if my understanding is then correct marxism collides with these ideologies and fits in with them in the sense that they are both evolutionary based and they're also based in a class struggle because we believe as bible believers that god created mankind as one race we're all one people but evolutionists believe that there are many races and that some are more superior than others. But we know, according to the Bible, that that's not true. And so Marxists believe that, and people that believe in cultural hegemony, they believe in evolution, and they believe that some people think that they're higher than others and there should be a difference in race. And so they kind of collide at that point. Yes, at
0: least he has a evolutionist underpinning. I also believe that there are some folks that may not fully understand where these are coming from right there are some people that like for instance black Lives matter they are in tune with the phrase but not the movement and they never really look deeply into the movement so they might not necessarily be an evolutionist but at the same time they may not know that the on the pinning foundation of these are really an evolution mindset
3: well even when i did a little bit of research on the term hegemony it actually originates from antonio Gramsci. He was the Albanian-born leader of the Italian Communist Party. He's the guy that actually came up with even the word hegemony, which I find to be kind of interesting in context of our conversation. So cultural hegemony in America, according to Marxists, they're white, wealthy, middle-aged people, but this idea is based on race, and like I said before, the Bible says that we are all one people. There's no race that's better than another race. There's no class that's better than another class. And so Marxists try to say that everybody should be equal and so forth, but they come at it from an evolutionary point of view. And therefore, because it's without God, there will be no successful solution to the problems that they see.
2: It sounds to me like men like the man you described, Antonio Gramsci, And other ones like Labriola, these were men that were influenced by Marx and probably felt like he didn't take his ideas far enough. And so they took his ideas and they applied them to social issues, came up with the hegemony idea and all of that sort of thing. And as a result, as the years go on, we end up with critical race theory, intersectionality, and all of these different things. My question to you is well, if they're aiming at everyone being equal, and they're aiming to eradicate what I would perceive to be what they think are the evils of capitalism since they're fighting against the system. Why is that not a good thing? Aren't there any good tenets of Marxism? And can the good tenets be adopted without the country becoming Marxist or communist or socialist or any of those things?
3: Well, let me try and explain it this way. Marxism, like I said before, comes at it fighting against social issues from a godless standpoint and so some of the points that are in the communist manifesto and in what marx believed some of them may have parts of truth to them we know that the devil likes using little bits of truth intermixed with lies to make it look good i'm not saying that every marxist you know that the devil is involved there But what I would say is that he has definitely used Marxism. And the tenets of Marxism, for example, we already see some of them in work today. Did you know that one of the tenets of Marxism is actually public school? If you look at the Communist Manifesto and at some of the other things Marx believed, one of the top things on his list was public school. And that's because it's easier to train children to believe certain things if you teach them that. Yeah, exactly, if you teach them that every day. And so public school, while it could be a good thing, can also be a bad thing if it's used in the wrong way. And we're seeing today, even in our school system, the fact that evolution is taught. You know, other things are being taught that are really... Yeah, and you can't question the system. Like, what's being taught in the school system, you know,
4: if you try to teach an opposing view, like Christian worldview or something to that effect, there's a lot of resistance to that. So it's, you know, they almost preach equality, but yet at the same time, then they still try to suppress the opposing view.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, I don't want to go on a rant here, but <laughs> I would never, ever send my kids to public school in the United States of America. It's just not going to happen. If I have to work 10 jobs to afford a private school or to send them to a Christian school, I'll do that before I send them to a public school because, yeah. All it's all a
3: battle for a mind.
0: It really is. I know my pastor back home would quote and said that I don't remember who he was quoting, but there was this popular Muslim and this popular Muslim said, Give me a child at five and I will make him a Muslim for the rest of his life. And my pastor would quote it in the sense that he will say, Okay, why is it that we can't make our children Christians for the rest of their life? And not gonna get into all that, but the education system is so important that and many times it overlooked because 90% 90% of kids from church home actually go to public school. Mm-hmm. That, according to Ken study, already gone.
2: Gentlemen, let me ask a question here that this discussion has opened up in my mind. Since we live in a country now where a majority of the population would not identify as Christian, and even the ones that identify as Christian have no clue what it means to be genuinely Christian— And we're talking about education and we're talking about capturing minds and everything in relation to the previous question about the good tenets of Marxism. How can we convince them that the only way to not defeat Marxism per se, but the only way to show them that Marxism is not the answer and that Christ is the answer when none of them believe in God We're more of an Acts 2 culture than an Acts... Wait, I'm sorry, is it the other way around? Acts 17. Acts 17 than an Acts 2 culture. It seems like that might be where the battle really is. People have no fear of the Lord. They have no knowledge of the Lord. And so...
3: They won't fear something that they don't believe exists.
2: uh Uh-huh. So basically it goes back to... Yeah, go but ahead. I think
0: that's true what Alex said. But I also think that the church, the way we are evangelizing the laws in the church today has to change. You right. have to go to a more of an apologetics form of evangelism. And unfortunately, the church is stuck in an Acts chapter 2 form of evangelism where they go tell people, hey, Jesus loves you. That's true. Repent. Yes, you need to. But if they can't see the need of a savior, why would they if they don't realize they're drowning, why would grab onto the lifeboat? Exactly. Right. And, and, you know, the Bible says
4: that, you know, that those that believe not the wrath of God abideth present tense on them, but they don't realize they're drowning. They don't realize that the wrath of God already abides upon them. As, as Jonathan Edwards said in his sermon, In the Hands of an Angry God, he said that the people that are alive, that are unsaved, are just as much the objects of God's wrath as those that are presently in hell. But so they don't realize it. So they don't know they're drowning.
3: And that's even as MCG said before, you know, the fact that if they don't know that they're in need, then how will they accept? And the, one thing with the Marxists is the fact that they think that they are good enough in and of them, like they can deal with man's problems their own way. Mm-hmm. And so because they think that they can take care of their own problems, that's why they're humanists. The humanists, they idolize humanity and think that humanity can take care of itself, right. but we know that the flesh is weak.
4: The answer to the question, how do we, you know, ultimately to bring back around and close the loop from what Dave was saying, and then similarly, you know, MCG chimed in and, you know, and we talked about Acts 17 there. You'll see that in the early part of Acts chapter 17— Paul first goes into, you know, he goes to the synagogue first, and then after he goes to the synagogue, he's in the marketplace preaching, and he preaches Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And there's some philosophers there, and they stop, and they say, you know, what does this babbler say? They don't really understand what he's saying. And it says there, because he preached Jesus and the resurrection, they take him to the Areopagus, and they, you know, they ask him what these strange gods mean, and, you know, tell us what these strange things mean that you're bringing to our ears. And then Paul starts over with and realizes that they didn't understand the message that he preached the first time when he was preaching Jesus, and the resurrection. So he starts over, he starts at creation, and then he comes all the way through, you know, God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Then, now having the message preached to them in a context they could understand, then the Holy Ghost worked. Some were convicted, some mocked, some said, we'll hear you again, and then others believed and cleaved unto him and so forth. So the answer is to start from the beginning, preach the word of God to them, and let the Holy Spirit convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment.
0: Yeah, definitely. So with all that, why is Marxism so appealing to the current culture in America?
3: I believe Marxism is appealing to the current culture in America for multiple reasons. Like I said before, it's part of the tenets of socialism and Marxism already ingrained in people's minds because ever since they were a small child, possibly. They went to public school, and it was just taught to them, and appeals to them. But it not only appeals to them in the sense that they've been taught that, but also because it addresses issues that they want to address, or they see that need to be addressed, maybe in their own minds, and they don't see anyone else dealing with it. And the only people that seem to be dealing with the issues they see, whether they're real or not, are Marxist organizations such as BLM. But I think one of the main reasons why marxism actually has gained some traction is because it's very rebellious the very tenets of marxism is just to get back and get power and the younger generation doesn't feel like they have enough power and they need to rebel against you know whatever or they think they need to rebel but they don't and they don't like the
4: rules right
3: exactly they don't like the rules and the rules don't benefit them to the extent that they want it and so the only way for them to really get their way is to rebel and that's exactly what marxism offers them an avenue to rebel. And so that's why it appeals to the young people.
2: So let me ask you this, Alex. Do you think that Marxism is biblical? The reason I ask you that is because I heard a lady write into a college professor once, I think it was a Q&A session, and she identified herself as a, quote, Christian Marxist. Is that possible? Is Marxism biblical?
3: no in the sense that does it fit with the bible? No it does not. What's interesting is Marx from what I know and from what I've heard it seems to me like Marx formed his ideology after Acts 4:32 which says that the Christians had all things common at the beginning of the church if you'll note not at the beginning of the church sorry but in Acts 4:32. However, Marx he took that phrase and he removed it from the bible and placed it in a godless society. So essentially, he's trying to accomplish without God what the Christians accomplished with God. And so humanist Marxism basically makes man the source for the power instead of relying on God. And so essentially, Marxism makes man his own God. But we know the Bible says in Isaiah 45, verse 5, the Lord says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hadst not known me. And so even though these Marxists don't believe in God, and they try and take things from his word and instead use it to their own benefit without him, like this verse says, he made them, and so he still wants to know them. But going back to what question you asked, it is absolutely unbiblical because it takes something that... God wrote and put down in his word, and it takes it out and tries to re-engineer it so that man can take care of things himself. But also materialistic Marxism is very focused on wealth and power, but we know that we should be focused on the rewards for what we do here on earth when we get to heaven. We should stop focusing on things on the earth and focus on things above. So... Those are a couple reasons why Marxism is unbiblical. There's, of course, the reason that Marxism is based on evolution, and we know that the Bible teaches six literal days of creation, and we believe that God created, not man evolved. And we believe that you know God is the source of all things, you know, is the source of the energy, the I don't know how to else to explain it, except that Marxism, dismisses God, and takes Him out of the picture while still trying to accomplish peace and prosperity on earth. It's
4: against God. In its very nature, it's anti-Christ. Right. And we were talking just a minute ago about why is it so appealing to the culture in America, and then the question came as a biblical, and, and we've you know, established that it's against God, so could it be so appealing because man... In his natural state is bent away from God, or you know he's in rebellion against God, and ultimately Satan is his master, the natural man, and Satan is against God, and so Satan is using these things essentially to destroy anything that is godly.
3: Yeah, definitely, and I think you know the Bible says that man loved darkness rather than light because of the deeds were evil, and. So the Bible also says that the heart is a seaful above all things and desperately wicked. And so a wicked heart is going to cling to wicked things. It's going to love the darkness. And so, yeah, definitely I could see that as being a reason why it does seem attractive to people.
0: You're listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Still to come, we will discuss how Christians can argue the tenets of Marxism, the issue of private property and Marxism, and whether communism can work perfectly if tried we'll be right back
2: sometimes no matter how great the selection you just can't find exactly what you want design it yourself custom gift baskets solve that problem by allowing you to choose the specific products you want to include with your unique gift basket. And in addition to hand selecting the products, you can further personalize your custom basket by adding coffee mugs, stuffed animals, Mylar balloons, or even an imprinted ribbon. When you're done, we'll put it all together in a one of a kind, perfect basket and ship or hand deliver it directly to your lucky recipient. Click in the description section to design your basket today. Alex, how can Christians argue against the tenets of Marxism, especially because it's so appealing to young people? It's definitely got a foothold in the country now, and these organizations like Black Lives Matter. How can Christians argue against the tenets of Marxism?
3: So, there are a lot of tenets of Marxism. If I wanted to go through and combat each tenet of Marxism, we would be here all night and probably for the rest of the year. It would take a long time to really deal with all these issues thoroughly. But Their two main foundations are what I call evolution and the greater good. I put air quotes around the greater good, and I'll get to that in just a moment. As I've said, communism and Marxism, neither of them can coexist with the creationist point of view because then God would govern the affairs of man and not man himself, whereas Marxism is a man-made idea and man relies on himself when he becomes a Marxist and a communist also it's very much based on race and class and it doesn't make all people equal however the bible says that for god so loved the world it says that he made us all one people like i said before and so the bible specifically says that there's one race and marxism and communism says that there are multiple races and classes and people that are not as important And so once you take away that evolutionary foundation, it's like the Marxist has a three-legged chair now. It's hard for him to sit upright because he no longer can say that people are being disparaged because of race and because of that reason. Because if we didn't evolve, we're one race. Also, when I talk about the greater good, that comes from a conversation I had with young Chinese communists and communists are Marxists. So that's why I use that. I met him in the Toronto airport. I was on my way to a mission trip, and I had a conversation with this young man, and I asked him, pretty much point blank, I said, okay, so you're telling me that Marxism and communism always turns out well. What's the reason? And I asked him, you know, if it's supposed to be all about peace and equality, Then tell me about the 35 million, or I forget how many, I think it's around 35 million people that starved to death in China. Tell me about the millions of people that died in Russia. Tell me about the millions of people that died in North Vietnam. When the Marxists came in and programmed the people before the communists came in and took over even, people were dying. So tell me exactly why, what was your purpose? What was your goal? And he basically looked at me and said, oh, we did all of that for the greater good. I stopped and I thought for a moment and I said, okay, the greater good. What's your definition of the greater good? That's one thing that no Marxist communist can ever answer, except for the greater good of the people. But then when I tell them, you know, but all these people died, then they are stuck and they can't go further. So really... Once you show them that their goal of getting to the greater good and evolution and you take those away from them, they're going to be stuck with, like I said, a leg with three chairs. It's not going to work. Or Sorry, a chair with three legs. And it's not going to work. And so that couple of ways you can talk with them is essentially what are your goals and why are you trying to get there? And also, you know, take away their crutch of evolution.
0: Can Marxism ever work perfectly in a Sintorn world?
3: No, it cannot. There's lots of reasons for that. First of all, in a Sintorn world, of course, man is not perfect. And so people will always, in a centaur world, take advantage of one another and take advantage of power opportunities that they see. Examples of this would be the socialist dictatorships that have come up around the world even when you look when socialism took over france during the french revolution and you look at all the death and pain and suffering and then people took advantage of the situation and came to power and put other people lower than themselves it's not marxism anymore because if you look at it marxism is supposedly all about equality but yet eventually people take advantage of marxism and they eventually rise to power and then push other people lower to get to a high position That's really one of the reasons why Marxism doesn't work in its sinful world. And so, really, you cannot have peace. You cannot have equality. You cannot be on the same level playing field without God. And even in a capitalist society, when you take away God, you do not have an equal, peaceful society. And so, Marxism cannot fully operate in a sin-torn world. see, on paper, it works. Because on paper, it's not actually living out in flesh and blood. But every single time that Marxism has been used, it has only brought death, pain, and suffering. And power to a few, and no power to many.
0: Yeah, as you said that it works on paper, I think about the many sports teams that they build and they will say, on paper, this should be a championship team. But once the team is tried and put to the test, then they realize that the pieces doesn't really fit together as well as they look when they did all the job and the trading to get the players. So I fully understand what you're saying. Is Marxism mob rule? Is Marxism just the majority ruling over the less, lesser than?
3: Yes, Marxism is mob rule, because even though, like I said on paper, it's supposed to benefit all workers and lower-class people, at the beginning, it has everybody you know, working for one goal, but then it disintegrates from there until there's people in really high positions of power and the rest of the people are serfs. I don't know if you know what the word serf is. The word serf, S-E-R-F, is basically people that had no power in the Middle Ages. And so essentially, Marxism takes in all these people. They seem to be working together, but yet at the end, they won't be. Marxism basically says the people will rule, but then eventually it's no longer the people ruling.
2: We mentioned earlier in the podcast how the Communist Manifesto purports public schooling, as an important tenet in terms of indoctrinating the children. Does the Communist Manifesto address the raising of children in any other way? Or does it say anything else about raising children?
3: Absolutely, it does. Like I said, and like you mentioned, it proclaims state education. But it specifically says state education based on labor. So essentially, these children will be taught, according to Marxism, all their lives that they need to work and work and work. I mean, good work ethic is great and I'm not disparaging that. But all their life they will be taught that it's to work. They're supposed to be workers and they're supposed it to turn into slaves, basically. Exactly. Slaves to Marxist mm. communist society. And then not only does it talk about just education, I actually read through the manifesto and it also says and this really comes into play when you are talking about the younger generation it proclaims that children are being exploited by their parents that just was really interesting because some children and some teenagers and you know I have to admit sometimes I have and I have had the feeling of my parents don't care and so forth in reality I'm deceiving myself and these children Like, I mean, there are some cases where children have been exploited by their parents, but not in the ways that Marxists and communists really deal with. In the Communist Manifesto, the communists were specifically talking about parents punishing their children. And the Bible specifically tells parents in the Bible that if a child, and I'm not quoting it exactly, but essentially if the child does wrong, if he sins, that you're supposed to use the rod, and even if he cries, he won't die. And the Marxists don't like that because they want to encourage the rebellious nature, but when a parent disciplines and really shows the unpleasant consequences of a child's sin, it will be exponentially harder for that child to rebel in the future.
4: Something you said there reminded me of a pastor friend that... Who believes in that he needs to lovingly discipline his children? Obviously, you mentioned the rod there, but it's to be done in love, and meaning that it's for correction, it's not for you know taking out aggression or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And he practiced that with his children. And at some point, there was a question that arose about that, and one of his sons was interviewed by a police officer, and the police officer asked him, and his son said, "Well, my dad has taught me." to respect and obey authority, and if I don't respect and obey my father, I'm not going to respect and obey you mm-hmm. to the police officer. <laughs> and there have been certain studies that have shown that a large number of people in prison were not properly disciplined by their parents. So, you know, like you said, encouraging rebellion, that's one of the main mechanisms is to take away the authority from the parents and the ability for the parents to raise the children in a proper way and so forth to encourage that rebellion so that the system can be overthrown.
3: Right. Exactly. It's all about encouraging rebellion. And like I said before, the Communist Manifesto specifically says and uses the word exploit. I'd be kind of curious to know exactly what Marx's definition of the word exploit was. Because... A parent that is lovingly disciplining their children is doing what they believe in and what we know is best for the child. And so <laughs> love is not exploitation. <laughs> I'd like to know exactly what his definition of that word was.
0: Yeah, that would be very interesting. And I'm sure that if the the masses should have their way, they definitely end a lot of the parental control parents have over their children. And that's another thing that Black Lives Matter really push is this village raising the child rather than the parents and they take it right from the communist manifesto it seems like yeah all right let's shift gears a little bit one of the big tenants especially in america but in the west is the ownership of private property is marxism against the ownership of private property
3: it actually is very much against it it is very blatantly against it In fact, I have a quote here from the manifesto. I'm going to read it. It says, the proletarians, and that's the working class, cannot become masters of the productive forces of society except by abolishing their own previous modes of appropriation and thereby also every other means and mode of appropriation. That essentially means they cannot become the leaders in industry without taking over and getting rid of all the old method of getting gain. And it continues and says, they have nothing of their own to secure and to fortify, which means they have nothing private. Their mission is destroy all previous securities for and insurance of, here's the key, individual property. So essentially, in a nutshell, what this quote just said is that the workers cannot take over a society and change the way the economy works without taking over and getting rid of individual private property.
2: If Americans lose that right to private property, how would that affect or change the country?
3: I think it would change it in a couple of ways. First of all, it would give the government a lot of power because the government would be in charge of all land use. And so anything that uses land, like a church, would no longer own the church. The land would belong to the government and the church would not have any power in its own premises. Businesses would have to pay money to the government, basically. They would pay their rent to the government because there's no owner of the rented storefront any longer because now it's all handed into the government. So the government gains a lot of power, not only politically because they can make deals with people and so forth because they have control of the property, but they can also control the movement of people, because if you're going to live somewhere, and we found this even in Russia, if you wanted to move somewhere, the communists told you where you're going to move, where you're going to work. And so it really gives the government a lot of power, and it takes a lot of power away from people and freedom of movement. It would basically guarantee a very powerful centralized government, and that is the desire of any diehard Marxist. Because then it really gives the government more leverage to control the economy and everything.
4: I find this fascinating because all of these things that we've discussed here, you know, the taking away authority from the parents, taking, you know, control of private property and so forth, and turning everybody into a laborer and such. The goal of classic Marxism was they wanted to destroy capitalism because they felt like capitalism was exploiting the masses and too controlling, et cetera, controlled their entire life. And that was the premise. And it sounds like the end goal of Marxism, though, is to do just that. Exactly.
3: It is.
2: Well, it sounds to me, then, that basically you're doing away with the rule of law, because if the government is supreme in that particular way, then they would naturally be above the law. We have a representative government, and so we elect the people who make the laws and reelect them in good faith, that they will make laws that represent what laws we collectively would like to be in place. But if all of that power is basically given to the government, it sounds to me like, poof, there goes the rule of law. And so what you have is the ruling class and everybody else, all of the underlings beneath them. Am I thinking about this straight? Is Marxism against the rule of law?
3: Yes, it is. It is definitely against the rule of law. Just Going back a little bit to what you said about the ruling class, I just find it ironic that the whole tenet of Marxism is to fight against the ruling class, and yet Marxism always present, you know, basically brings about a different ruling class. It may not be the same ruling class, but it's still a ruling class. Right. But going back to being against the rule of law, really, I mean, it depends on who you're asking, but if you're talking to a Marxist or a non-Marxist, If you're asking a Marxist, they would tell you that they are for the rule of law, but when you really look into it, they're only for those laws that really fit in with their agenda. And so, basically, any law that isn't, they are against. That's why they're against God's law, is because God's law specifically is against a lot of the things that they are teaching. However, if you're talking from a non-Marxist point of view like mine, I definitely would say that Marxism is against the rule of law because... The law prevents them from getting such great amount of power, but the Marxists will riot, burn, kill, rape, do everything just to get power and progress the movement. In fact, the word revolution is found 41 times in the Communist Manifesto. It's very much against the rule of law. Any authority that is not Marxist and communist, they are against it.
0: It's funny you said that because on the Black Lives Matter website, they had... A section called what we believe which they have since removed a few months ago but I do have a copy of it and if you look at it and you count the number of times they use the word radical you know you just say that the communist manifesto use revolution a lot but today that word is radical they want a radical change and they want to get this change in whatever means possible so if that means burning down the city rioting for weeks upon weeks Whatever they want is going to be a radical change and they're going to get it by force. That's
3: exactly how they want to attain and achieve their goal is really using fear as power. And the only
4: thing that keeps some people from doing wrong is the law. When someone decides that the law is not a measure or a boundary that's going to restrict them any longer, then they just ignore the law and they do whatever they want to do. I knew once in a community near where I live, there were two neighbors and one neighbor they wanted to have a speed bump put into the area, and the other neighbor didn't want it. When the speed bump was put in, the one man crept in, it was in the local news, the one man crept into the other man's house, tied him up, and shot him, and the law prevented him from doing anything against his other neighbor until he finally decided the law wasn't his boundary any longer. And, you know, the people that are rioting and so forth, the reason that they're doing that is because they want to destroy the law and they want to do away with it. And the law, you know, isn't restricting them any longer. I think it's I mean, one of the things that just completely fascinated me is to see from a legal perspective, you know, how things are almost completely inverted. Like the couple that was in St. Louis that, you know, the Black Lives Matter riot came They tore down the iron gate around their house. They came onto the property. These people took their weapons out of their homes. They weren't planning on hurting anyone, but they were going to defend their property and their lives. And after the people left the property, within the next couple of days, these people were being talked about that they were going to be charged with hate crimes. And so are they against the rule of law? I would agree with Alex. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and as you're talking, what came to my mind is that It seems not only that, but do you think that they will be willing to take away weapons from the American people? Because the Second Amendment seems to be very big in this country, at least very big for some. So I'm wondering if that's a tenant of Marxism as well, disarming the people.
3: To be honest, I didn't specifically look into that part, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was because Marxists, they're for rebellion, except when it's a rebellion against themselves. If you look at All other rebellions, even in communist Russia, there was a civil war after the communists took over, and they just totally obliterated it. And so one reason why I think the Marxists would be against people having guns is because they wouldn't want the people fighting back. It would just give the people power. And so anything that gives people power, they would want to take away, and that would include free speech and weapons and private property.
0: Yep. So Alex and D.W., let's bring it home. Everything we have just said, let's compare unconscious Karl Marx's teaching with the teaching of Jesus Christ.
3: Well, Karl Marx believed in the abolition of law, morality, and worship of God, and he says this in the Communist Manifesto, he says, law, morality, religion are to him, and that's the Marxist, so many bourgeoisie, that's the upper class, prejudices, So he's basically saying that law, morality, and religion are the prejudices of the upper class and behind which lurk the ambush just as many bourgeoisie interests. And so basically what he's saying is let's throw away law, morality, and religion because it is not in our interest. But Jesus taught that God's law exists for a reason. He said, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle, that's the smallest part of the law, to fall. And he also taught that immorality defiles man, which means that it's sin. He said, that which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. In Matthew 7:21, he says, for from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. And he goes on and he says in verse 23, all These evil things come from within and defile the man. Marx was against law, morality, and religion, and Jesus was for obeying the authority, as long as the authority doesn't disobey God. He was for morality, and he was for the law. Marx believed that man could determine his own destiny by doing things and changing society, and Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Marx believed that after a person dies, that's it. But the Word of God says that those that were not found in the Lamb's Book of Life were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So Jesus Christ taught many things that totally disrupt what Marx taught. And we know from what the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way. But Marx believed that man is his own salvation. So, Marx and Jesus Christ, they cannot coexist. Their beliefs.
0: Do you have anything to attack onto that, DW?
4: Yeah, I mean, as Alex was talking there about how, from Marx's perspective, man was his own God. Man was to take control of his own destiny. Uh, that's the epitome of humanism, really. And you know, man is his own salvation, if you will. Whereas, biblically speaking, as Alex pointed out, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, Jesus said. And so, man is incapable of saving himself, And the reason is because he is limited, he's flawed, and thus, you know, he's the man that's in the lake drowning. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come up and offered man salvation. If only man will reach out and accept that salvation, sort of like, again, using that illustration of being in a lake. If you were a man drowning in a lake and someone came up with a boat and a rope and threw the rope over over to you in order to be saved, you'd have to reach out and grab the rope. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, and He died on a cross, He was buried, and He rose again the third day. The Bible says, according to the Scriptures. So according to the Word of God, these things are true, and He did that so that He could provide us with that means of salvation, to throw that rope to us, that we could reach out and grab a hold of it. And the Bible says in John 1.12, as many as received Him. I don't mean to lessen the Lord Jesus Christ in any way whatsoever. But he is both the man on the boat and the rope itself and gave himself for us that we could have eternal life. If we again just reach out and receive him and you know, he'll take us onto the boat and he'll give us eternal life. So man cannot save himself as Mark, you know, tried to teach. Man is not his own salvation. He can't make a perfect society that's going to lead everyone to a perfect place. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that and only by receiving him as a personal Lord and Savior. So the Marxists would have to reject this idea that man can save himself, and that's what the Bible would call repentance, is rejecting the idea or turning away from the idea that man can somehow save himself or his works are good enough, etc., and then by turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and placing his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, then man can be saved.
3: See, one thing I would add to that is also the fact that Marxism basically denies the existence of sin. And so in order to convince a Marxist that he needs a savior, he has to first realize that he's a sinner. He has to first realize before that that there's a God that he sinned against. And so that is one thing you'd have to talk to him or her or whoever about. There's an interesting proposition by a French scientist a while ago by the name of Blaise Pascal. I'm going to give you the short version of what he said in his document called Pascal's Wager. He said, well, I'm going to modify it for the Marxists. The atheist Marxist believes that nothing happens after death. You just turn to dirt. But the Bible believer believes that those who do not receive Christ as their savior will spend eternity in a place called hell. And the Bible says that they'll never get out. It says that the worm dieth not. They will be there forever. If the atheist is right, then it won't matter whether or not he was right, because he'll just turn to dirt. But if he's wrong, then he'll spend eternity in hell, where the Bible says he'll never get out. And so, really, I believe Marx was very surprised, and unpleasantly surprised, when he realized he was wrong, and the God that he denied, and the God that he said could not save him, he realized that that God was the same God that condemned him to eternity in hell. What Pascal was saying, and what I'm saying, is both logical and biblical for any person that is an atheist. And it's a reasonable plea for them to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It didn't say might be or maybe. It says it is death both physically and spiritually. Again, Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to escape eternal death is eternal life, which is Jesus Christ, like D.W. said before. So I would give the Marxists this choice. So which will it be? Will you choose death or will you choose life?
0: Alex and D.W.? Thank you for joining us on the Removing Barriers podcast. Thanks for
3: having me. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us or to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm forward slash removing barriers. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.